Israel is so much more than Krav Maga or falafel, and Jewish continuity has far greater meaning than watching Fiddler on the Roof with your kids. Welcome to the Thrive Study Abroadcast, the show where we will talk about modern Israel, Jewish values, and everything in between. I'm your host, Adi Isaacs, director of Thrive Study Abroad. For the last 15 years, I've seen how a semester or more in Israel will change a student forever. In this podcast, incredible students and people just like them share how Israel and Jewish values not only inspire them, but empower them to make an impact. Yala, Achi, and welcome to the show. For Thrive Study Abroad, we do a lot of work and a lot of recruitment with Birthright. One of my favorite people to work with in Birthright is Levi Margolin, who started with just running Birthright trips to now being in charge of Maya Note Birthright, one of the largest Birthright providers through Chabad. It's going to be really excited to hear from Levi Margolin what Birthright is all about and the exciting experiences that students go through when they come to Israel. I'm really excited for the conversation with Levi Margolin. Okay, Levi, thank you so much for joining today. Levi's a good, great friend of mine in the neighborhood, as well as the executive director of Maya Note Israel, the Birthright Israel Division. Thank you so much, Levi, for coming and taking the time out of your really busy schedule. Pleasure to be here. Um, Even during birthright season, still the end of birthright season. This is a big I thing. Mean, it's, it's the tail end of our season, but um, glad that I could fit it in. Really appreciate it, Levi. So just uh, how did you get involved with Birthright? How did this all start? Tell me a little bit about it. How did I get involved in Birthright? Well, I actually came on a Birthright trip. It was my first time in Israel. Really? It was my first time out of, the, out of North America. At that time, I was 19. I'd only been to the United States and Canada. Um, I came on a Birthright trip with my Anot in August of 2002. I was 19 years old. Um, trip's a long time. I don't remember so much of it, but I do remember a sense of wanting to learn more, just wanting to see more of the land. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to extend that trip, and I didn't make it back to Israel for four years. I came here with my family in the summer of 2006, and on that trip, I really got this sense of, I need to know more about this place, and I researched many avenues to get back to Israel, but again, it took a few years. Another... Uh, well, when you came, by the way, just going back to that, sure. what, what was it that you felt that you really needed to get more of? It's a good question. For me, on that trip, there was a couple of highlights that, that really stick out until today. Um, one is the people I was with. None of them were from Israel. We were all a bunch of American yeshiva students, but we felt more connected and more like family here than we did there. Some of those people are still my best friends today. Um, I know at least two of us have made Aliyah and live here. One lives around the corner and is at my house almost every Shabbos. Like, We've, we become family from, from then. And the second thing is, at the Kotel, on a Sunday morning, dancing to the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Anachno Avimotcha, with the Israeli soldiers. So that was a, a Jewish experience I had never had, and I grew up in a from Jewish Chabad family, and as a, a, a sense of Jewish community that I had never felt. So those so, are, those so are that, two things. So that, that was like one of the highlights. So when did you come back then after that? When I came back, I came back in 2006 with my family. Um, on that trip, just seeing my parents' experiences, well, both of them hadn't been here in years and years before that, especially my mother hadn't been here since she was, I think, 14 years old. Um, and her experiencing the land, she cried a lot. 
and in a good way. And that really made me feel like there's something right about this place. That was 2006. And from then you stayed here? No, I, I, I was 2006. Um, I, I came back to Israel again in 2010 in January with my first time as a, as my fir- it was my first time as a, as a birthright trip leader. So I was leading a bunch of students. Uh, half the group was from Texas universities like Texas A&M and Texas State. And, and the other half were from the College of New Jersey. And I led the trip with my dear friend, Rabbi Kivi Greenbaum, who's the Chabad rabbi at the College of New Jersey. I always like to say that I am where I am today because of him. I got my whole style of how I lead birthright and how I approach the students in Israel from him. Um, that was my first time that I had led a birthright trip. And then my note, that was with my note, my note called me back um, sometime in April and asked me if I would lead a trip in May. I was like, sure. And they called me back while I was on that trip and asked me if I would lead another trip in July. So I came back wow. twice that summer, and that kept going for three summers. And I can tell you how I ended up here. If uh, yeah, no, I'd love to. So, so <laughs> over that time, how how many birthright trips were you the leader of? And what what does it mean to be a leader of a birthright trip? Like, what are the responsibilities? What are you doing? What's it like? Very good question. I'll start with that. Um, leading a birthright trip. I mean, the way I approached it when I first led a trip in in January of 2010, and how I approach it today, are very different. But the, the, the core is yeah, still different the responsibilities same. also. Obviously so. different responsibilities, but the, 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 the responsibilities of the trip staff have changed, obviously, with the you know people changing and the world changing. But the core is still the same. It's the, the ability to facilitate conversation. You know, we're going through this journey through Israel. It's not just about look to the left, look to the right. This is what you'll see. It's about how are you feeling? What would you like to share? What would you like to say? So for me, it's, it's called experiential education, which uh, you, you, you're very familiar with. Experiential education is giving people the opportunity to process what they've learned and what they've seen and apply it to something else in their life and how they're going to carry that into the future. So while the sensitivities surrounding the participants and the people and the places may have changed, the need to facilitate the conversation and steer the conversation you know, you know, in, a, in a certain direction has remained the same. So what we look for in our staff members are people that have the ability to communicate, people that are people, people, you know, they, they deal well with others, uh, and team players, because it's a team of staff, everyone with their own narrative, which I think when they're presented um, in, in, a, in a unified way, it's a, it's a beautiful story of three or four different narratives of the staff, plus the 35 to 40 narratives of each participant when they come together. It's, it's just a beautiful story. So how did you end up through doing all leading all those birthright trips? So how did you end up staying in Israel or being in Israel? Right. Um, so it's a good question. I, don't, I actually don't know if you know this story. I do not. <laughs> I'm very interested to hear right now, actually. Um, in June of 2012, it was my eighth time leading a birthright Israel trip. I had lo- led one in January 2010, two in the summer 2010, um, I think two or three, I forget the exact count, in the summer of 2011, May, and then again in June of 2012. On that trip, I met an Israeli woman who is today my wife. And on that trip, I said to myself, if I ever want to have a chance with her, I got to live here because she lives here. So I... Uh, How long before you got married was that? <laughs> uh, gets a lot question. of interesting details are going to come out right now. No, I, I tell the story to every single birth record. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I can... I can I'll tell you why, but I tell this story to every single birthright group that I went back to Canada where I was living at the time. I was the assistant director at Chabad of McGill in Montreal, and I, I moved here. Uh, when I got here, I, re- I found out that she was in a relationship. 
So I, uh, I was like, oh, well, here I am all the way across the world. I better make the best of it. So I looked for a job. Who better to find a job from than her father, right? Uh, I don't tell that part to the birthright <laughs> kids. But I, I called up my note. I said, listen, I've been on birthright trips so many times. I'm really good at this and this and this. And I work well with the, with the Chabad rabbis, your partners, and, you know. And I, I got a job. That was the end of August of 2012. And I... What was your first job there? My first job, I was a social media coordinator. And on the side, I was working with the partners and with the Chabad rabbis, helping them with their recruitment and stuff. That's when we first met, by the way. Yeah. Essentially, I was being paid to post on Twitter and Facebook for a living. Um, that was end of August. Uh, to answer your other question, we got married in June of 2016. So that was about four years <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we're working for the father-in-law helped out. Yeah, it's like Yaakov uh, um, Avinu, who had to work for uh, for seven years. I got a discount. It was only four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So how was the how was the beginning of uh, working with Maya Note, doing marketing, and then how did it lead to the next part? Um, so I started as a social media coordinator, but really my, my job quickly became, like the core of my job quickly became working with the campus rabbis. Um, my note, we're a Chabad organization. Our, our partners that recruit students to our program are the Chabad on campus, Shluchim, the, the, the Chabad rabbis on campus. And I started to work with them really closely to build up relationships, cultivate relationships. And on the side, I also was doing the social media, and then I became a marketing coordinator about a year later, um, a year, year and a half later. Um, sometime around 2015, um, early 2015, I became the director of marketing. Um, to me, that brought together all the things I was working on, giving Maya Note a good face, a good brand, and good partnerships. That all came into the marketing uh, sphere for me. So that really just pulled everything together that I was doing. And I was able to bring on a staff to help me work with different aspects. I had this guy named Shimon, who uh, I would I would bring him back in a second. He worked with the campus rabbis. It was amazing. Um Sometime around 2017, I... Just maybe going back for a second, just maybe sure. an, a, a, no, uh, an ignorant question, but if you're Chabad, you're Maya Note, and there's tons of rabbis. How many, how many rabbis around, uh, let's say, North America are there? So we only work with, um, with Chabad on campus in the United States. The United States, okay. Um, there's about 200 different affiliates. We obviously don't work with all of them very closely, but we work with almost half on a regular basis, and of those, about 70 are, are real committed partners. I mean, you spoke about cultivating relationships, developing partnerships, but isn't it all one infrastructure? It doesn't happen naturally. What did you have to do in, in order to uh, facilitate these partnerships exactly? So Chabad as a whole um, doesn't run a birthright trip. We are the Chabad provider, if you will. And Chabad houses on campus don't have to do birthright. Um, so it's a lot of getting people interested, walking them through the process of learning how to run a birthright trip, who to recruit, how to recruit, how they sign up, um, and actually giving them ownership. It's, 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 a, it's a real partnership where everyone gives and everyone takes, and cultivating that relationship so that they know that this isn't just, I'm giving you this program, it's we're creating this program together. And for some of the rabbis, it's you know, it takes a longer time to to convince or to bring them to the full understanding of what we're trying to do. Um, I take pride in the relationships that we have created and cultivated and even repaired over the years. 
Um, it's not easy work often, um, but it's, it is very rewarding work. These are people who put themselves out every day for Jewish neshamas. And if I'm able to provide them some sort of project that helps that mission, it's, it's definitely worth it. Definitely want to come back to this, but I skipped a, a little bit. Just to in term, continue with the story of, of, of how you moved and uh, kept on climbing up the ladder at, uh, at my note. Right, so 2012, I started as a social media coordinator. Around 2014, I became the marketing coordinator, then the marketing director in 2015. Um, in 2017, I, I took a break from my note for about, uh, about a year plus uh, to explore some other ideas. Um, around, around, in February of 2019, I came back to my note as, uh, as, as, as a consultant, really working with the Chabad rabbis. Um, and in June of 2019, June 1st, 2019, I, I basically took over the program. I became the, the executive director. Um, definitely definitely a journey. Um, never something that I would have thought when I started posting on Twitter for the organization. Um, <laughs> when we spent time in the old city, hanging out, getting some ice creams together, wearing Mo. our tags with Mo. That's right. Yeah. Um, I Who guess, would have thought we'd be doing a podcast here yeah, together? Yeah, seriously, it's just, like, <laughs> it's just like royalty here. It's a podcast. Um, I guess if I would, were to summarize, I, I guess the vision that I had for the department of Mayanot was something that vibed with the directors, and they they saw that and they they pushed me up that chain, essentially to where I am today to to run the organization in the, with the vision that I had. Um, and obviously with a lot of a car to them and appreciation for where I am. In 2012, I remember just bringing us back to that moment, getting some Zislik. I don't know what it was called back then <laughs> as we were wearing it. You, you would confidently, we would see each other almost every single day because we were both hanging out trying to, I was trying to recruit for study abroad. You were very much helping us with that. Uh, and you said, I was like, Levy, what are you doing? Like, I am building up Maya Note to be the number one birthright. And is, is that the case now? So I can't answer if we are the largest birthright provider. What I can tell you is that in the, what we call the season that never happened, summer 2020 season, if trips would have happened, my note would have had more students on the ground than any other provider. So I can say that from that first time that we met where I had this vision that my is going to be the biggest provider, essentially that did become true. Do we have the most students on the ground at the moment? No, it's the tail end of our small winter season. Did we have the most students on the ground last summer? No, but it was close. Um, that's the information. It's that definitely I grown into a tremendous empire and uh, have a lot, lot to be proud of. And thinking back to when we were sitting and getting an ice cream, is like that was a vision that I honestly, I, I probably laughed at you a little bit, but you, you brought you brought it to that. It's unbelievable. I'll tell you a side story. When I first came here, the, the birthright had a pretty miserable marketing department. It was a free program, international travel. It's essentially, we all believe that real marketing wasn't needed. When I came into my position as marketing at Mayanot, we were the first organization to really bring in a marketing team. That was when things started to change. The demographics of people, the, 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 the dynamic of American Jewish youth, birthright became less popular. Birthright wanted to become bigger. So at the, you know, the, the interest going down, the wanting to bring more people needed to start marketing. You needed to actually bring people in. Birthright providers started to bring in marketing and Birthright brought in this marketing department like tremendous amount of money to really, which which they've done amazing work. 
and the new marketing director, after about two years of, of her, uh, of her, uh, in her role, I sent her a message about, I want to say nine or 10 months before the upcoming summer season, 2017 summer season. And I sent her a, a document. It was titled hashtag mission 100. And she says, Maza, I said, this is my plan to get 100 Mayano buses on the ground this summer, summer 2017. And she sent me a laughing emoji. Wow. <laughs> she said, not going to happen. I still, I saved it. I have the message when she scrolled all the way back and said, this, I didn't believe you. And you pulled it off. That summer we had 101 buses. Does that, Lee, that's an amazing story. You know, how, how did you do that? How did you get from where you were to 100 and, 101 buses? It's funny. I, actually, I don't really remember. I mean, obviously, it was cultivation of relationships. It was traveling to college campuses to meet the students, going to Shabbatons. Um, but primarily, it was, it was managing a marketing and PR and recruitment approach that really brought together a lot of different avenues. We expanded our 22 to 26 age group at that time, um, which we were, we're, we're a college campus provider. The age 22 to 26 was always difficult for us as, as it is still today, but uh, we expanded it in that range. We, we found recruiters on the ground to bring in people from that age demographic, and we brought in campus partners that hadn't worked with MyaNote ever or for like a decade, hadn't been with us. And we, expand, we, we, we gave colleges the ability to expand from their bus to their buses. And that was the first year that we had several campuses with multiple buses. Before that, we University of Michigan always had multiple buses. No one else, really. Um, over the years, everyone here and there. But that summer, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, Central Florida, uh, University of Texas, Austin, USC, Penn State, UPenn, and more had two or more buses. Wow. And... Um, you, uh, you, you and I share a friend, Rabbi Mendel Matasov, University of Wisconsin. Of course. We actually have, which is part of how we grew, we, we created something which then didn't have a name, but today I call it the Rabbi Mendel Matasov approach. It's where he brings all his students, he comes and he jumps around from bus to bus and really gets to know all the students. And essentially he's building the future of his Chabad house on the Mayanot birthright buses, getting to know hundreds of students and bringing them back with him to Chabad and that approach has been copied at Ohio State, at Penn State, at USC. And not everybody likes that approach. Some people like, you know, I have my 40 students, all the other 120 students from our school, I, I trust that you'll put a, a good staff, but I can only focus on the 40. But um, that approach, being able to offer both approaches has really helped us expand. When I, I, sent, I sent my mission 100 to, to, to a marketing professional, and he looks at me and he says, what is this? I said, this is my marketing plan to get a hundred groups. He says, this isn't a marketing plan. It's a bunch of words on paper. How are you actually <laughs> going to do this? I still don't know. <laughs> now that we heard the passion and how you grew everything, why, why is birthright so important to you? Birthright is so important to me because I met my wife on birthright. It's a great starting point <laughs> and end point. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I am somebody that people who know me know that my, 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 greatest passions in life are Jewish people and bringing Jews together, networking within, within the Jewish community. If you can throw into that, influencing the Jewish future, influencing hundreds, thousands of students and doing it in a way 
that vibes with my ideology and my vision, how could birthright not be important to me? What makes Maya Note different than other birthright trips? I'll tell you a story. Um, this was probably around 2015. I have a friend whose father-in-law is the agent of a band here that always plays for Avram Fried when he does concerts here. And he said to me, Levi Boitile, to the concert. I said, well, which concert? Avram Fried. I'm like, Avram Fried's a guy from the neighborhood. I know him. My father was his camp counselor, you know. But you know what? Why not? I'll go. Free ticket to a concert. He takes me in backstage and introduces me to the people there as, introduces me as the Shliach Chabad to Taglit. The, the Chabad Shliach to Birthright. I was like, hey, I love that title. And what does that mean? So over the next few weeks, it was actually right before our summer season, over the next few weeks from the beginning of May until, until Shavuos, basically, I decided that I'm going to ask students why they chose to come on Maya Note. And I'm going to ask students at three different points in their trip, beginning, middle, and end, what was your highlight? And you ask a kid on their second day, what is your highlight? meeting new people, being in Israel, free trip, great. Middle of the trip, they had just been to Tzfat. I learned something new. I went to a mikvah, things that they've never thought they could. The last day, you ask them what was the highlight of your trip, and they say, going to a mikvah in Tzfat, having Shabbat at the Kotel, and going home with a Chabad rabbi as my new best friend. And I said to myself, that is a shliach Chabad to Taglit. Other birthright trips, obviously they're amazing journeys, and people have meaningful experiences and create memories that's something unique to Maya Note. that Jewish journey that spiritual underlying message which we bring to them that's the difference in Maya Note. we all go to the same place we all go to Masada we all go to the Kotel we all go to Yad Vashem it's the facilitators which we spoke about at the beginning and how are they facilitating that discussion and what influence are they having and encouraging the students to talk about it was really the staff making sure you have the right staff and the right partners, which you continue to talk about. I fully believe that our staff are the unique perspective, the unique, the unique approach that we have, um, which is funny because if we were to market our trips as, come on birthright with a Chabad rabbi, <laughs> our numbers would, would drop. When the Chabad rabbi on campus markets his students, they all want to come with him. They all want to come with the Rebetzin. If we were to market it to randoms, it wouldn't work. But we have such a good name. People get to the airport at JFK and there's a rabbi. Hi, I'll be your staff for the next 10 days. And they're like, oh my God, a rabbi. And they go home 10 days later with a Chabad rabbi as their new best friend. Wow. Wow. Could, just going to birth and understanding a little more, could anybody decide to be a provider? No, could, I, could we open a Thrive birthright trip? Like how, do, how, do, how does it work? And considering that if you open the birthright trip, you would be potential competition, I'm going to say no. <laughs> stam, stam. Um, no, the answer is no. Um, back in the day, when birthright was first founded, back in 1998, uh, they sent out a, 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 an RFP, a request for a proposal, to dozens and dozens of Jewish educational organizations, both for-profit and non-profit, to, to uh, run birthright trips. And over 130 organizations applied, 41 were accepted to run birthright. 41 different birthright trip organizers. Um, today there are seven. Well, there's eight, including one international. There are seven out of North America. How was that chosen? How did that happen? Originally they were chosen based on their ability to run the trip, their ability to create a staff, their ability to provide quality education in Israel and, for, and from a Jewish perspective. 
Um, over the years, many of the organizations have felt that it wasn't worth it for them, so they've pulled out. Some have been asked to leave, for lack of a better term. Um, and some have, uh, Birthright has requirements that if you don't meet them, then you, know, you have like two out of three seasons. If you don't meet certain requirements, then you're basically dismissed from the program. And where we are today, we're working with seven trip organizers. We're all friends. We work well together. But obviously, there is a little bit of a competition because we're all fighting for the same American Jewish youth clientele. But it's, 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 it's a good company. So how does it work in terms of you have Birthright and you have Maya Notes. So who's paying for the trip? How exactly does it work? Right. Birthright Israel, um, obviously, they are the what we would call the parent organization, not the parent company because they don't, they don't run our company, but they are the organization that provides the trip. Um, they provide the money. There's the Birthright Israel Foundation in the United States. There's the Birthright Israel Foundation in Canada and other countries that raise money in order to be able to run birthright trips. They give money to trip organizers to be able to operate. But within the money that we get, we have to do everything. Payroll, overhead, marketing, run the trip, and hopefully save some money in order to expand the program. And that is, that's all under you right now. Wow. That's very important. Uh, you, can't, you can't succeed if you're trying to do everything yourself, and you can't succeed if, uh, if you're chasing your tail the entire time. College students, when they think about COVID and not being able to come and thinking about like, oh, they, they couldn't come, but it's, it's very hard for a student or a funder or anybody to think about organizationally how it literally decimated. And to hear you had one person that continued, I can't imagine what it's like rebuilding an entire staff to bring tons of people to Israel. Yeah, listen, the, the, the worst day that I've ever had in this job was the day that I had to furlough 14 people. One by one, I called them into the office. And I mean, that I, I would say we'll get back to you at the end of July. Let's see what happens. Who knew, right? So rebuilding is definitely a challenge. But again, I, back to, to the directors of the organization, the, of the Minot Institute, that have given me the support that I need to be able to, to rebuild. Going back to more positive things now is, you no know, for the students, what, what do you think is the, the highlight? You touched on this before, but what is the highlight that people walk away saying these were the two most memorable experiences? Um, that's a good question. I, I would say that I mean, we, we've always had feedback forms and people fill in, you know, what is your highlights? What is something that you would like to take out of the itinerary if you could? There's tons and tons of questions on the feedback forms. Um, by and large, with Mayanot, um, the Western Wall on Friday night is always a huge hit. Um, the Israeli participants why, that why, why is the Western Wall Friday night such a major impact? I've actually asked people that question. What was it about Friday night at the Kotel that meant so much? People felt like they belonged. They were at a place. They had, they had, had been to services so many times or even so little times in their life, but I never felt it was for them. When they came to the Kotel, they didn't have to even hold the prayer book to feel like they were a part of it. They felt like a part of the Jewish community at the center of the Jewish world. Did, and that did, for them was just really meaningful. Did you push a little further? Did you get a little deeper into understanding why, what was it there that they felt that they're at the center of the Jewish world there? It's a place that they've all learned about in Hebrew school or heard about from their grandparents or, or seen on the news. The Western Wall, almost every Jewish person has heard of. What it means to them, they have no idea. For some, their parents tell them, you know, the Western Wall, when you go to Israel, the Western Wall, but for some of them, they didn't know. Like, 
what it really represents or anything like that. But being there, being able to touch it, they feel, they feel the history. They feel, they feel the community. They feel Jewish peoplehood. So what's and I know that birthright requires all trips to go at some point in time to the Western Wall. But what's the difference between Friday morning or a Thursday afternoon or a Friday night that you're saying is like the really special time? That's a very good question, and I've I've heard this answer from several people. The difference between a group visit to the Western Wall on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday morning, right? It's a personal experience. Everyone has their time to write their note to go to the wall. The experience on a Friday night is a communal experience. It's just everyone together. And our staff are... If you are, could explain just, I know people listening may not understand what this like. They depict what it looks like on Friday night that is so important. So if you've been to the Western Wall on a Friday night when we have dozens of Mayanok groups, you may have seen crowd surfing rabbis. You may have seen <laughs> hundreds of people dancing in circles. You may have seen rabbis, myself included, standing on chairs and saying, repeat after me, Am Yisrael Chai. That is something they've never experienced amongst thousands of others in a circle with hundreds of people they don't even know and other people joining the circle, soldiers, charedim with streimels, people with baseball caps and sandals, people coming together in this circle, dancing, seeing, watching, and experiencing something which is it's hard to explain. It's the, it's the, the, the feeling of unity that, that you see there and the song and the joy of people that don't even know the words. That's a unique involved. Friday night thing. That is a unique Friday night thing. I would, I would even add that that, that big circle of Maya Note is, is a unique Maya Note thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are, there are many circles of people dancing, but the biggest circle um, over the past, I don't know, decade has been the Maya Note, uh, that, that Maya Note group. If I join a Friday night, can I be added to the crowd surfing rabbis? I would like you to lead the group. <laughs> <laughs> May I have to take that up with my wife also. The Rabbi Adi Isaacs show. <laughs> Is there anything else? Friday night seems like amazing. What else sticks out to students? The Israeli participants that join are, um, are always a highlight. Every birthright trip has a certain number of, usually around seven or eight um, Israeli soldiers or students or young professionals that will join the birthright trip for anywhere between five and ten days. And they're participants. They come to share their stories and hear our stories, you know, bringing the Jewish communities from around the world together. People meet new friends from around the world. They now feel more connected to Israel because they have this Israeli friend. Um, When they see the Israeli students and soldiers going through a Jewish experience that they just assume every Israeli has already had, that's very meaningful for them. When they see Israeli soldiers first time Friday night at the Western Wall, first Friday night at the Kotel, that to them is is eye-opening. It's like, for them, it's like mind-blowing that somebody could live here. It's like living in New York and never being to the Empire State Building. It's, it's so mind-blowing for them that there's seven Israeli participants and four of them have never been to the Kotel on a Friday night in a very positive way because they're having that experience together. Again, it's back to the togetherness, the unity. When we go back to experiential learning and you think about what is it about a birthright trip that is so meaningful, it's not the lecture that I'm going to give. It's the experience they're going to have. And that, seeing that Israeli at the Western Wall for the first time, looking up at that magnificent wall, that's an experience. That's embedded in the brain. The lecture, you know, they might ask a question or two, but tomorrow morning they're on to their next experience. How many, how many people come through birthright a year now? Wow, loaded question. Um, as you know, birthright and, and is, my uh, note also. 
as you know, Birthright's going through a phase right now with um, some some budget cuts. Um, we've, as an as a greater organization, Birthright has has topped out at a, at forty nine thousand. Uh, wow. That was, I oh, believe, wow. 2017 or 2019 or both in that range, between 47 and 49,000. Um, my notice topped out at, at roughly 5,000 in a year. Uh, this past wow. summer, we brought, we brought 3, 000, uh, just under 3,000 students. With staff, we're looking at about 3,020 people that came on a Mayano birthright trip this wow. summer. This, this winter, we have about 500, including staff, about 525. So you're looking at 3,500 in the year. Uh, next summer, we're looking at, with with the cuts. We're looking at about just under twenty one, just under twenty one hundred. A lot, a lot of students to impact. Baruch must Hashem. feel it. Must feel it. What, what? What is one of your highlights? One of your stories that you like? When you think about that, this is what I run. This is what I've been able and blessed to have as my job. What's like one one story that you think about? Wow, there's a lot, a lot of stories that have that have happened over the years. Um, I guess, oh, I gotta, yeah, I gotta think for a second. Let's see. There's so many stories back from when I used to lead the trips until, until today. Um, I would say when I meet somebody who comes over to me and says, I remember you on my birthright trip in 2013. I say, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I wish I could say I remember you, but there's so many of you and one of me remember me as the... the crowd surfing rabbi at the Kotel or whatnot. I've been walking down Ben Yehuda and somebody would say, hey, that's Rabbi Tuglit right there. Like that <laughs> kind of thing. But seeing somebody years later that is now enrolled in a program here in Israel, whether for Jewish studies or for volunteer or for an internship, what inspired you to come back? It was that journey. It was that trip, that journey that I had on Mayanot, especially when we see them in Mayanot or at a semester abroad getting involved on, in programming on campus as well as seeing the people on the campuses that get involved because of their trip to Israel. There's one, I'll tell you a story. Somebody was at my house this past Shabbos day. She just came back on a birthright trip as a leader, not with my note uh, this time around. Um, and you still invited her to your house? Oh yeah. She's been coming to our house for years. She is, she is a rabbinical student at the Hebrew Union College, which is the Reform Rabbinical School. She got, obviously our choices don't necessarily match and I don't necessarily agree with everything that, and just like she doesn't agree with everything that I do, but she first got involved in Judaism because she wanted to go on a birthright trip and she was not going on the Chabad trip. I am not doing that. I'm going on Hillel. Hillel said, I don't have space. She says, I'll go a different time. One of her friends at the Chabad said, come on, we got one extra spot. Why don't you come with us? And she said, you know what? Fine, I'll go, but I'm not getting involved. She came on the trip Six months later, she was the president of Chabad on campus at her school. Amazing. She got involved. She came to Shabbaton. She came back to Israel. She led trips. She still comes to Shabbos meals with us. She, she has no intention of being a rabbi, by the way. She's getting her degree for, to, 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 to work in the Jewish business world. Mm. And that's a very, a very strong degree for something like that. Her Jewish identity was kindled on a Mayanot birthright trip that she still carries until today. Wow. Amazing story. There's, the news is talking about that not everybody, not all Jewish students want to go on birthright. You know, how has that, uh, that affected you? Do you see that? What are the reasons? Unfortunately, more and more Jewish students don't want to go on birthright. And that's, that's a product of, of PR campaigns against both the organization and against Israel. Um, 
I've been on college campuses and I've seen Israel Apartheid Week in action. It's people setting up booths and talking about how Israel is an apartheid state and how Israel, the Israeli army kills, kills Palestinians for no reason. Like, I've seen that. And that doesn't do any good for somebody who's on the fence. Well, if this is true, I don't want to go there. It's a free trip. Wouldn't they just want to come check it out for themselves? You, you, would, you would think so and you would hope so. But some people feel that it's, it's too unpopular. They don't want to be seen going there. It's potentially social suicide. I wouldn't say social suicide, but you would definitely be, uh, in, some, in some college campus, in some college settings, people would definitely be, would, would feel, to use a word that the college campus kids used, they would feel otherized because of their choice to go on a birthright Israel trip. Choice today is important. Everybody promoting choice. You have choose, 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 but don't choose to go to Israel because Israel is an apartheid state, because Israel is this, because Israel is that. You, know, you can choose anything you want as long as it works for me. So if you're sitting in front of a student like that or potentially on the fence, what, what, what do you tell them? I say exactly what you just said, and I tell this to all of, our, all of our participants when they arrive in our orientation. No one's going to tell you what to believe. No one's going to tell you what to do. We're going to introduce you to people and give you, to, give you tools to draw your own conclusions. Ask questions. Challenge people. See it for yourself. You'll meet the Israelis. You'll see the country. You can even read the news while you're here and match it to your own experience. You know, talk about something that happened in Jerusalem. See what the news is saying. You're here. Um, trying to convince someone to come on a birthright Israel trip is a very difficult task if they've already made up their mind that they're not going. But we do pride ourselves in being able to provide a journey that is not one-sided, that somebody will come and only hear what they think we want them to hear. We give them the ability to ask questions. We have, we have a, our, our trip right now is, that is in, it's in Jerusalem right now. They're actually, they're leaving this afternoon towards the south. It's the liberal arts trip from three of the most liberal arts colleges in the United States. It's not just liberal arts. It's very liberal. The people there are very liberal students, and we've had a lot of challenges over the years with, with these students and their questions, but they're here and asking questions. I prefer to have a difficult question than not have the question at all. The, the rabbi that created the liberal arts trip gives an opportunity for people that want to ask more questions. And we, we have that to a smaller degree on every one of our trips. We bring somebody to talk about geopolitics. He presents both sides. He gives them the opportunity to ask questions about both sides. Obviously, we're an organization that's here to promote Israel and Judaism, so it's going to, we're going to provide information more on those lines, but we give the ability to, to ask your questions. I mean, I've seen that firsthand through studying abroad. We've seen that tremendous, tremendous impact. Uh, I'd say almost every single student we've had has at least has gone through birthright. Like that's the entry level that you have to have to come to Israel. What would you tell? No, I, I know for us that uh, we make sure to tell all of our students that the very least that you should do is go on to college campus to convince your friends that you have to do birthright. Now, how, how, how do you guys do that as well? You make sure that everybody tries to spread the word as much as possible? Word of mouth is definitely very important. And we try to, we try to light that candle to encourage somebody to pass that on, on the trip. At their closing session or whatnot, we will say, you guys are having an amazing journey. Tell us who your friends are. We'll get in touch. We won't, we won't even tell them that you gave us their name. We'll say one of your friends cares so much about you. They want you to have this experience. They sent us your name and number. And we'll call them. And we encourage them when they get back to camp. We even incentivize them to tell their friends. To us, it's very important that as many people as possible will come on birthright. Obviously, 
as many of those as possible with Mayanot. So we will encourage people and even incentivize their promoting our program to their friends, to their family. We've done marketing campaigns to parents. We've done marketing campaigns to grandparents. We've done Facebook ads, Twitter ads, Instagram, TikTok, getting the word out to as many people as possible. For me, I feel if you're going to come to Israel and have the birthright journey, you need to have it with Maya Note because then you get the full picture of the Israel journey, the Jewish journey, and really, really discovering where you fit into all of that. Somebody just to come on a tour to Israel, to me that's a little bit of a waste of time. A nice trip, but a bit of a waste of time and a waste of the donor's money. Get that Jewish and Israel experience that you can take home with you. I like to call it tangible. They can actually feel it, take it home with them and share it with others. Well, it's the work that you do is absolutely amazing, inspirational. We try to get as many people as we can to come onto your birthright trips. I know that we work together, and uh, you should continue doing the unbelievable work that you do. Get more and more and more people. Get birthright to give more funding, and uh, should continue to impact as many people as you can. Thanks so much, David. Your mouth to God's ears. Let's make it happen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please help us reach more people by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more content like this, visit our website at thrivestudyabroad.org.